0: Alright, good morning again everybody. My name is uh, DJ Martin, the church pastor here at Parker Ford. If you're visiting with us, it's great to have you. Um, As I mentioned earlier, we have been on a long journey through the book of Acts. And this morning, we are transitioning to a new series on the church. Look at your neighbor and say, the church. I thought this would be a a great thing to do coming out of the book of Acts. Because so much of the book of Acts is about what? The church and the birth of the church. Um, and uh, as much as many of us would like to recreate what we find in, uh, in the scriptures, there's some things that can and should be reproduced and there's some things that uh, can't and shouldn't be because it was for that time and that place, that culture. And so we still today, every bit as much as the first uh, Christians and the first church, we still today need to wrestle through what is The church. And so it's good to take time uh, periodically to look at it. Some of this over the next few weeks will likely be review for some of you. Some of it may be new thoughts. Um, But I thought it would be good for us as a local church, a local church body, to take some time to get on the same page. All right. When you hold up a diamond, I'm not going to ask one of our ladies to hold up their bling. But when you when you hold up a big diamond to the light, what happens as you, a well-cut beautiful diamond, as you hold it up to the light, what happens as you slowly turn it? Colors change. Colors change, what's that? Yeah, prisms. It can even like, like rainbows can happen. It refracts light differently. You see uh, different things with it. So that's kind of like the church. I mean, we could spend... Forever looking at, at the church and every single turn it's going to be a little bit a little bit different. So that's what we're going to do um, over the next couple of weeks. So um, one, one thought I'll start with then, well, is we often think of the church as the end um, when, we're, when we're building things. And one of the things I really want to highlight in this series is the church is not the end. The church is the means to an end. Everybody say the church is a means to an end. It's not the end. What is the end? If the church is the means to an end, what is the end? When, when we're all with Jesus? Yeah, what, what would that be called from, from? Well, heaven's a part of it, a piece of it. Kingdom. Kingdom, right? The kingdom of God extends an eternity past and eternity forward. In each direction. And in this season, following the resurrection of Christ, the means to the end, the container for building the kingdom, is the church. And so as we, uh, as we look at this series, we're going to be looking at the church as a means to an end. The church, there's five, there's many, key, there's many illustrations in the New Testament for the church. Five of the big ones. Our body, bride, temple, flock, and family. Can everybody say that? Let's read that together. Body, bride, temple, flock, family. Anybody recognize the stained glass picture there? What? Yeah, it's, it's from the front of our, front of our church building. Uh, that's from the old Parker Ford building. And uh, the congregation pilfered it and brought it here. Which I, th- I think is awesome. It's awesome, and they've got that display when you walk in with the, this beautiful stained glass of all the panes. When you when you walk in, all the different uh, stained glass panes. This one has always been my favorite since I've been at Parker Ford. That's the one I look at. That's the one that tends to draw my attention. What 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 is this a picture of? The Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant. What did it represent? The presence. It represented the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. So in the Holy of Holies you have the Ark of the Covenant and on top of the Ark of the Covenant sat what? The mercy seat, which is represented by what in this picture? What is the mercy seat? The, the angelic, uh, the wings that spread out together to create the throne and on top of that is the place where heaven and earth met at a fixed point. Everybody say, heaven and earth met at a fixed point. Now in the Old Testament, who could go into that fixed point where heaven and earth met? How often could the high priest go in? Could anybody else go in? Could you have gone in? What would have happened to you if you went in? Struck Dead. This is the church. This is the church. The fixed point on earth where the presence of God meets us, where we are at. That is what the church is. This is the blurb uh, for this series. I wrote this just to explain what we're going after. It says in this series we will be exploring some of the New Testament passages that define and shape our understanding of church with an eye towards wrestling through the questions, what is the church? Who is the church? Why does the church exist? What is the purpose of the church? Much of what we often think of as church is actually more cultural than biblical. For instance, no one in the New Testament period would have ever said, I'm going to church. And they would probably scratch their heads at us when we say it. Because the church is not a place to go. It's a people who are gathered together around the person and presence of Christ. While it's impossible for us to reproduce the culture and events that shaped the first century church, we can and should constantly return to the scriptures as the guiding and shaping force behind how we seek to build up the church today. Here are the four ways... ...that people use the word church in English. Number one, we say we use the word in this way. We use it to describe a building. We need to paint the church. Anybody notice that the the church lobby was painted uh, this week? Can we give a round of applause to all those who volunteered and and did work uh, with that? Thank you. To our trustees and especially to Barb uh, who organized that. But we say we talk about the church in that way. We, We... got a facelift on our church. Or we use it in this second way. We use it to describe programs. We say, are you going to church tonight? What we mean is, are you going to the hymn sing? Are you going to the Bible study? Are you going to BBS? We're talking about a program. We say, are you going to church? The third way we use it is we use it to describe a 501c3. We say, wow, she gave an incredible donation to the church. By that, what we're saying is she gave a tax-deductible gift to the 501c3 institution that we are. And the fourth way that we use the word church is this. We use it to talk about our spiritual com- community. For, for example, Dan and Jess are an integral part of our community. I chose those names because Dan represents half the men in our congregation, and we have two Jesses married to Dan. This fourth way, when we talk about people being a part of something, That is the only way that the New Testament uses the word church. Not one time in the scriptures does church mean a building, a program, or an institution. It always means a gathering of people that belong to the Lord. Here's the explanation of it. The fourth uh, usage is the only way we can find this word church being used in the New Testament. The word church and other terms like it in other languages, the cognate terms, are derived from the Greek word kuriakos. Did I say that right, Renee? Kuriakos? All right, everybody say kuriakos. Close. Kori- everybody say kuriakos. Renee is Greek if you didn't know. Kyriakos, which, which means belonging to the Lord. That's what that word means, Kyriakos. That's where we get the transliteration church in English. It means belonging to the Lord. They are, however, to be understood in light of the New Testament Greek term, and this is one you're probably familiar with, ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. This comes from uh, Millard Erickson's uh, classic Christian theology, systematic theology book. So... Um, the term church comes from a word that means belonging to God, but actually the word that's translated as church in English in the scriptures the vast majority of time is the Greek word ekklesia. So when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, what, he said, what he's, the Greek is to the ekklesia in Corinth. Now, ekklesia, again, it doesn't mean building institution or program, This is Strong's uh, Concordance. This is the basic Christian usage of the word, ecclesia. It means an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. This is a little bit old English, but in a spiritual setting. A company of Christians, of those who, hoping for eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, observe their own religious rites or their ordinances, sacraments, hold their own meetings, and manage their own affairs according to the regulations prescribed For the body, for order's sake. So there is organization to it, but the organization always centers around people. It's just like the Sabbath. The Sabbath exists for who? Not people for the what? Sabbath. The church, in the same way, the ecclesia, the gathering, it exists for the people. The programs within it exist for the people, not the people for the perpetuation of the programs. Or the third meaning, those who anywhere in a city village uh, constitute such a company are united into one body. Fourthly, the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth, so the universal church. Or fifth, the assembly of faithful Christians already dead and received into heaven. So if you take those two things that mean belonging to God and the gathering of God's people, and you put them together, what does that, what does that say about who we are? We are the gathering who what? Belongs to the Lord. We are the assembly of God. Ever heard that before? That's where that denomination got their name. The assembly of God. The gathering of people that belongs to the Lord. They took those two words and they combined them. This is what N.T. Wright, uh, Tom Wright, says about the church in his uh, work, Simply Jesus. If you haven't read Simply Jesus, it's the uh, probably closest modern thing we have to mere Christianity uh, by C.S. Lewis. This is an excellent uh, survey of, of the church and of what it means to be a Christian called Simply Jesus. Phenomenal book. And writing about the church, he says the church, this is a really tightly compact um, definition, so I'm going to unpack it a little bit. But he says the church... So the gathering belonging to God, the the people that gather belonging to God, is the single, so there's only one, there's only one church, just like Paul writes in Ephesians 1, right? There is one church, one body, one faith. So the church is the single, multi-ethnic. Paul writes about that in Galatians as well. There's neither female nor male Gentile nor Jew, all are one in Christ. So the church is the single, multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham. So the church, the work of the church, the promise of it, the seed of it, actually goes all the way back to Abraham. Which is why we use the Hebrew scriptures in the church. God was already preparing and building for his Messiah and for the kingdom in this age played out through the church back at the time of Abraham. It was brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus. So Jesus is the one who established the church. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. It was energized by God's spirit. All right, take a moment there. Energize, everybody say, energized by God's spirit. I think we need some energy from God's spirit this morning. So Adam, created by God from the dust of the ground, before God breathes his spirit into Adam... Is Adam alive? Does he have the image of God in him yet? Just this body formed from the dust lying on the ground. What happens? God reaches down (laughs) in some amazing way and he breathes the breath of life, the spirit of God into Adam. Do you remember in the upper room after Jesus was resurrected, before he ascended, he gathered the disciples and he sat them down and with his coffee breath or whatever, he breathed on them? He breathed life into them? When was the birth? What's the birthday of the church? Pentecost. When what happened? The Spirit of God, what? Fell. So the church, without the Spirit of God, is like the body of Adam without God breathing into it. The only way that the church has life is through the breath, Spirit of God. So it was energized, given life, animated through God's spirit. And it was called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. That is a great way of expressing it. The call of the church, the call of God's assembly of people belonging to him, our purpose is to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. And we'll talk about this a little bit more going forward. All right, so what are the activities of the assembly? What is the church to do? Here are the two basic, uh, if, if I would boil down everything, this is what it comes down to. This is why the church exists, what she exists to do. She exists for the great commandment and the great commission, just like you and I, right? You and I, on an individual level, exist for the greatest commandment and the great commission. What's the greatest commandment? It's the Shema. It's the hero Israel. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus adds the Levitical uh, statement to it and what is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do we, as the assembly of the people belonging to God, gathered together, how do we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I think the roadmap for us is in the scriptures at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Do you remember after the Pentecost story, it says 3,000 were gathered into the church that day and they devoted themselves to four things. And you, if you've been at Parker Ford for some time, you've received this teaching, I'm sure, a number of times. But the four things, you can look at this in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, the four things that the church, the assembly of gathered people belonging to the Lord, the four things that they gave themselves to were the apostolic teaching to fellowship, Koinonia fellowship, that's not drinking coffee fellowship, that's koinonia, kinonia. yeah, quinonia fellowship, which means um, you are gathered around a shared purpose and mission. It's impossible to have, for those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s, and we heard all these wonderful things about koinonia fellowship, it's impossible to have that without shared mission and purpose. That is what that means. It means a group of people that share a mission and are going after it together. So they devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching, to a shared fellowship that included a shared purpose and mission, to breaking the bread, that's the sacraments, so uh, the Lord's Supper as well as baptism. We practice foot washing here as well in the Church of the Brethren, and to prayers. That's practicing God's presence, listening and speaking to God. So how we today... Love the Lord our God as a group of people is the exact same way they did back then. We focus on teaching from the word of God that the apostles handed down to us. We have kinonia Fellowship, a shared mission and purpose where we seek to bring the good news of the kingdom of God to all places. We break bread. We remember the ordinances, which means we practice communion regularly as well as baptism, which we did last week. And uh, we also have our love feast and foot washing where we remember Jesus um, in the upper room serving his disciples. And we give ourselves to practicing prayer, which means we practice God's presence. We devote ourselves to prayer. And then the, the second main activity of the assembly belonging to God is the Great Commission. What, what's the Great Commission? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, the, the, um, the grammar there is, as you are going, so as you live your life, as you are going, go and make disciples of all, na- uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So how do we practice the Great Commission? Well, this is overly simplifying it. But we don't have time to get too complex in it. But we practice justice and we practice righteousness, which are actually two sides of the exact same coin. You cannot have righteousness without justice, and you cannot have justice without righteousness. Justice, um, defined in the scriptures as pure and undefiled religion, which is caring for widows and orphans. So we have a heart for the least of these. We practice God's justice. And we go and make disciples of all nations by practicing God's righteousness, rightness, being right with God. How are we right with God? Through the good news, through the the word of Christ, through through receiving the atoning work of Jesus Christ. By preaching, teaching, baptizing, and evangelism, uh, sharing the good news. So the church exists. For the great commandment to love God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and to take that love to all nations and all places. Does that make sense? Tracking with me? All right. Here are the five key pictures of the church in the New Testament: body, bride, temple, flock, family. Body. This is an image that comes up multiple times in the New Testament. We are the body. He is what? The head. Bride, multiple times throughout the scriptures, uh, by multiple New Testament authors, we are called the Bride of Christ. So in the scriptures, you've probably heard me say this before, ladies, in the scriptures, you are called sons of God. Men, you are called the Bride of Christ. Usually women have an easier time understanding sonship than men do being the Bride of Christ. And that is a statement that we should wrestle with. So we are the bride. I'm the bride of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. Collectively, we are the bride of Christ. He is what? He's preparing his bride in white. Revelation 19. And he's going to come and meet us and feast with us and have a celebration. We are his temple. He is the chief cornerstone. We are the living stones being fit together. We're going to look at that scripture. We are a flock. The church is a flock. He's the shepherd. We are the sheep. Jesus stood up and said, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. We are the family of God. He is the father. We are his children. So if we're his children and he's our father, what are we to one another? Siblings or brothers and sisters. Each of us. This is how Peter talks about the church. 1 Peter 2, this famous passage, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord, that the Lord is good. What's he quoting here? I know I'm asking a lot this morning. Yeah, Psalm 34 Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's saying, If you have actually listened to that and taken it seriously, where you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then long for the milk of God's word, his spiritual milk that you may grow up into maturity, into salvation. Verse four, as you come to him, a living stone, he's picking up on Isaiah here, a living stone rejected by men, but in the light of God chosen and precious. So Jesus, the living stone, chosen by God, rejected by men. You yourselves, verse five, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a temple. You're being built up. We are being built up as the new temple of God to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices and acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, everybody say, I am a rock. Say, I'm a living rock. A single stone doesn't make much of a building, does it? Who can find shelter in a single stone on the ground? Maybe you can lay your head on it as a terrible pillow like Elijah or Jacob. But a stone does not make a building. It is only when we are together, the people belonging to God, gathered together in relationship, seeking after Christ, the great commandment, the great commission, that we are fit together in such a way upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, that we form together a temple that houses his presence. Peter goes on to say, For as it stands in Scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you, Parker Ford Church, you brothers and sisters, you and I, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Every single one of us is a priest of God. We are the priesthood of all believers, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, that we may proclaim. So why are we this? We exist as this so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's quoting one of the most brutal and one of the most brutal moments in scripture. What does this come from that he's quoting? One of the minor prophets. He's quoting the book of Hosea. What did Hosea do? Who did he marry? Prostitute. And then every child that Hosea had with the prostitute Gomer God named the child. Hosea didn't get to name him. God did. And you know what he named the children? First child, he said, you are not my people. That's the child's name. Can you imagine naming your beloved child not my people? That's what Hosea named his child. You don't belong to me. You're not my people. The second child, you know what God said? Name this child no mercy. For my people have not received my mercy. Can you imagine naming your precious daughter not merciful? But then if you know the story, what happens? Later, God says, I want you to change their name. And he changes the name back to my people. And he changes the name of the other child back to having received mercy. So Peter, talking about you and I, Gentiles, people born outside of the redemptive uh, family The Jewish family, he says, once you were not a people, you were named not belonging to God. And once you had not received mercy, God looked at you and said, you do not have my mercy. But now, through Jesus Christ, I have renamed you. And now you are my people. And now you have received mercy. Verse 11, beloved. Look at your neighbor and say, beloved. We need to hear that more. That was pathetic. Look at your neighbor and say, beloved. Seriously. You're beloved. You're beloved. You're the beloved. Who does God say is beloved? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in his beloved son with whom he is well pleased, he says the same thing to us. You are his beloved child with whom he is well pleased. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, so Peter is picking up on tabernacle temple theology here. This is a picture of the tabernacle, which later was built into multiple temples. At the time of Jesus was the second temple, which was uh, even rebuilt by Herod. So this is a picture of the tabernacle. Everyone's probably familiar with this a little bit. Um, The the outer ridge forms a fence that went around the whole tabernacle. And then you would enter. um, And what's the first thing you come in contact with in the outer courts? What's the first thing you encounter when you go into the tabernacle? The altar. What's the first thing we encounter when we come to God? The cross. (laughs) Right? The altar. Where the Lamb of God was slain, to take away the sins of the world. What happens on the altar? The priest sacrifices the burnt offerings to what? Make atonement for sins. So the very first thing when we enter in is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. The next step, what's the next thing in the tabernacle? The laver. What's the laver? The wash basin. So then... It doesn't just stop that atonement happens, then a cleansing happens. As you move deeper into God's presence, you move from just basic forgiveness to now there's cleansing. We are washed with the water of God's word, it says in Ephesians chapter 5. You are washed with the water of God's word. He cleanses you and makes you clean. Then, when you step into the holy place, this is a place reserved for Levitical priests. You step into the holy place, you come to three things. You come to the golden lampstand. What does the golden lampstand represent? God's enduring presence and light. Jesus says, I am the what of the world? Light of the world. You come to the altar of incense. What of our our prayers and songs, what are they considered to God? They're like a, a beautiful aroma of incense rising to God. And we come to the table of showbread. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took the bread and broke it and said, this body is broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And it's tied to forgiveness. And so a deeper level of forgiveness happens as we abide and feast on Jesus. And then for the vast majority of people, the, um, of the Jewish people, they would have only been in the outer courtyard. A few select would have come into the holy place. And then only one once a year would have come into the Holy of Holies, which they would have encountered the Ark of the Covenant with the, uh, with the mercy seat on top of it. And I quote here from Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. No one was allowed in here except a select few. Now this is the picture of the church that Peter's using. One of the pictures of the church, the assembly of God's people belonging to him is the tabernacle, is the temple. In John 1, it says that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Your translation probably says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Greek word there is tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So every time you and I encounter Jesus, we encounter all seven instruments, all seven. How many spirits of God are there in the book of Revelation? Seven. How many days of creation? Seven. We encounter the fullness of the tabernacle ministry in one person. Jesus Christ. Now the church, where does Jesus dwell today? In us. So where is the tabernacle today? In you. What happened when Jesus died? What happened to the temple curtain? It was torn in two, which symbolized what? Access to God's holy of holies. Every single one of you Every single one of us in Christ carries within us the Ark of the Covenant in all of its glory. Do you live like that? Do you believe that? The Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on top of it, the fixed point on earth where heaven and earth met in God's manifest presence, you carry it inside of you today, right now. So when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, he's saying, wherever any one of us go in his name, we carry with us The full tabernacle ministry, including the Holy of Holies. Where is the church? Wherever what? Wherever people gather. Where does the church go? Wherever God's people take her. So we carry the Holy of Holies with us in every place that we go together. This is the church. This is the power of the church. This is the mystery and wonder and ministry of the church. Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. He's talking about the temple. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Do you long and faint for Parker Ford Church, like the building? Do you wake up and you're just like, oh, I just long for, for this building. I can't wait to go, like, just soak it up. I, I praise God for this building. Amen? Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. No, what do, you, what do we long and thirst after? A building or a person? Jesus. Our souls hunger and thirst and long and faint for Jesus. And when any one of us, and let's be, let's be real... When any one of us go too long without thirsting or without drinking from that well, we are in a bad spot. Dehydrated, broken, empty. So when we read this, we're not reading about a building. We're reading about a person. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints, for the courts of the Lord, for the presence of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God now this is so cool think of the psalmist sitting down he's he's one of the few people who could come into the temple and he's sitting there and he's meditating on god he's meditating on the instruments the seven instruments of the temple tabernacle and all of a sudden as he's meditating he's writing on a scroll he's he's composing a song to god in his heart and all of a sudden he starts to hear a chirping and at first it's bothersome to him because he's trying to focus But then as he looks up, he sees this mother sparrow in the temple. And there's this bird in the most holy place on all of creation. There's this little bird singing. Anybody ever been in a mall or a a church building when a bird comes in, right? A bird has found its way in to the temple as he's meditating. And it's singing in the rafters. And he looks up and he begins to think about that. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. And his point, of course, is if that bird has a home here, how much more so do you and I, sons and daughters of God, image bearers? Where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I would rather be a servant in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is all about the beauty and wonder of the presence of God. The church exists to glorify God. Everybody say the church, God. the church exists to glorify God. She does not exist to meet our felt needs. That is not why the church exists. She does not exist to make us happy. <laughs> there are so many preachers that are more gifted than me. Let's be like let's just be honest. Like Tim Keller. Oh my goodness, that man can teach and preach. but he can't pastor you. He's one person in one place. We're a church because we're a group of people that God's called to be together. We don't exist to make one another happy in a materialistic, consumeristic way. The church doesn't exist to meet our felt needs, nor to give us a spiritual energy boost once a week. If you come here because you feel better about yourself coming here once a week, you're coming for the wrong reason. We come to glorify God. It's the only reason we come. The only reason we should gather together at any time is to give glory to God. This is not your McDonald's. The church exists to advance the kingdom of God. The church is a means to an end. It's not the end. In eternity future, there will no longer be a church in the sense that there are churches today. There'll be a kingdom and there'll be a king and the king will reign, and we'll be there. So when we build the church, we're actually seeking to build the kingdom. Not primarily a building or a group of people that come together for programs. We're seeking to build the kingdom. Therefore, what's it there for? Therefore, at home, at work, at school, at play, When you're sleeping, when you're driving, when you are breathing, and I hope you breathe, when you are breathing, you are the living stones being built up. We are the living stones being built up into God's holy and spiritual dwelling place. And every single place that we go, the church goes with us. So church, does it happen on a Sunday morning? Sure, because we're gathered together. Does it happen in our homes? Yes. Does it happen at your place of employment when you invite the Lord's presence? Yes. Does it happen at school, young people, when you're at school? Does does church happen there? Yes. When you invite the Lord, yes. You carry within you, we carry within us, the Holy of Holies. Every place. Under the old law, when something unclean touched a person, they became unclean. Under the new law in Christ, when a person who's been made clean by Jesus touches something that's unclean, it's made clean. Think about that. This is what the church is meant to do, to cleanse and touch and bless. I invite you to quiet your hearts and meditate on these thoughts. I brought a lot of content in a short amount of time, a lot of thoughts about the church Take a moment, praise team, you can come up and join me. And I would just invite you to give glory to God and thank him for his abiding presence that goes with us. Thank him that the church is not a program. What a sad, what a sad thing that would be if the church was just a program or institution. Thank him that the church is a body, a bride, a flock, a temple, a family, and that we get to belong to it. we thank you God for your work through Christ for making one new people for yourself there used to be <laughs> there used to be a separation between the peoples uh, those who were part of the Jewish family those who were outside Gentiles and there was a way for Gentiles to become God-fearers but to be fully grafted into your family. That happens through Christ and that happened through Christ and it continues to happen through Christ. Father, I pray if there's one thing that people take away from this morning it would be this, that they carry, we carry within us the manifest presence of God within our souls in such a way that our bodies, our souls are the place now where they, they are the fixed point where the presence of God and earth meet. And so when people encounter us, we have the opportunity to serve them and minister to them in such a way that they too could receive the presence, cleansing, healing, mercy of God. God's work has always been incarnational. Jesus became flesh in the same way we the church are to be enfleshed. We're to go to where people are. We are to carry the good news with us. And there are times where we gather. We gather weekly to glorify you, but daily we go to carry you with us. May we live that out here in our local congregation, at Parker Ford Church. Bless your people. We bless you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. It's so good to have you. Go with God. Be blessed. Have a wonderful day.